Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. Today we have Netflix 197th film from 2019. It's the Filipino thriller Dead Kids directed by Mikhail Red. It stars Sue Ramirez, Khalil Ramos and Marcus Patterson. I'm Jesse and I'm with MJ. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just looking at those names that you just read. You are uh, you didn't say Kelvin Miranda, who's effectively the the main character in this film. You just go off IMDb. I just uh, what do I go off? Off Wikipedia, off the top three. The Wikipedia, you cheeky, cheeky devil. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair enough. I'm alright with that. But I just want to give Kelvin Miranda the uh, <laughs> shout out for uh, being <laughs> being the main character in this film. Fair, good on him. <laughs> I'm sure our, our interest in this film will, will uh, slowly progress as we talk because it's our first Filipino film. A um, little bit of a mishmash of uh, different languages throughout this one. And yeah, I can't, Showing I can't my ignorance that. here, I have to assume that's how they speak a lot of the time in the Philippines is, is it, they do speak Mixture. a lot of English. Yeah, within. exactly. Um, and yeah, my knowledge of uh, Filipino film is, is not massive to, to tell you the truth i'm gonna go as far as saying off the top of my head i'm pretty sure this is the first filipino film i have i've actually seen yeah i think i'm exactly the same yeah. Yeah, yeah so um interesting it's a new one it's a good one let's uh let's mm. kick into it and look at our fast flicks where we do our quick summary of what the film's all about what is dead kids about for you dead kids is about a group of high schoolers who kidnap the rich asshole from school in hopes of securing a lucrative ransom <laughs> nice, yeah. I think that's a and a good, nice way of putting it. I've, I've gone very similar. A bunch of outcast kids band together to extort money from the father of their bully. Mm, I like it. I like it. All right. What What do we learn about this one? How did this one come together and why is it on Netflix? Well, before we start, I'll do a spoiler alert because I'm just worried I will jump into something at some point. So if you, have, if you haven't watched Dead Kids, you're interested in watching it, we are going to spoil this film pretty badly we're gonna we're gonna tell you everything that happens oh, so good, good. um <laughs> so switch off now if you don't want it to be ruined uh watch the film and then come back and have a listen and see if you uh see if you agree with our, our thoughts on it but yeah as, as as you sort of said jesse this is the first filipino film to be slated as a netflix original film um on this podcast we cover all the netflix original films in chronological order as you said in the opening so this is obviously our first venture into it as well the director, Mikhail Red, uh, his film Birdshot was also the first Filipino film to stream on Netflix. So it wasn't an original film, but Netflix obviously picked it up in a few in a few markets. And so he kind of gave Netflix the first taste of Filipino cinema. Um, and he's always basically had this desire to, to be seen as this filmmaker who's able to bring Filipino cinema to a global audience. And, you know, what better way to do that than, than through Netflix? So... He got commissioned to make this film for Netflix. The, the story itself is, is, as it says in the, uh, the very opening, is based on a true story. I have to admit, when I was watching the film, that completely went out of my mind that, that it was based on a true story. I often, when I when I see this is based on a true story, I try and like store that somewhere and try and find out how much of it is true. But from what I can gather, uh, a year, basically a year before they started making this film, there was an incident in a well-known Philippine university where four students were caught after a failed kidnapping plot that targeted one of their fellow students. The film itself is, is quite fictional, but it basically borrowed the premise of, um, of that story. Um, and it also gave Mikhail Red the, the opportunity to tackle these themes and deliver this message that he wants to send about 
you know, the youths of today, which is, you know, comes out pretty clearly in the film. So what I found really fascinating is that they shot this film in 10 days. Um, and there's a multitude of different characters. So there's a ton of different actors that you need to be rolling through. So it's a huge effort regardless to, to be able to film a, shoot a film in 10 days. And, um, you know, the final product ended up premiering at the closing ceremony of the 2019 Cinema One Originals Film Festival, which is an independent film festival in the Philippines. Um, and then it was released on December 1st, 2019, worldwide on Netflix. Yes, excellent. Um, yeah, I, I think as I was trying to look into that true story that, of the, what this is based on, as you mentioned, I think it's interesting to say that there was no like clear, there's possibly a couple of events that they they, that people think it was based on. So, um, but like the the creative team haven't specifically come out and said, you know, uh, we based it on these events. But like you mentioned, I guess the, the differences are that it was a 19 year old student who was, you know, had finished high school, whereas the film's set in a high school. And, um, you know, the, the kidnapping, he was waiting for a bus apparently. So he didn't go to a um, to a brothel or a, or a massage car. <laughs> uh, he was snatched into a Toyota, tied up, um, and then one of the teens, so apparently, like you mentioned, wasn't just one person that was kidnapped. So one of them that was kidnapped was interrogated, found out the whereabouts of the victim, and then they were able to work it all out. So, yeah, I guess it's uh, it's interesting to see that they have obviously taken bits and pieces of the real-life story to put this into the film. Uh, the director, Which is great. Re- yeah, sorry. The thing that gets me is why change it to high school kids? That feels, that feels very interesting to me, and I, I, maybe it says a lot more about uh, the Philippines and the culture there, but it just seems like a big stretch for kids in high school to be thinking and doing this. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so the director, Mikhail Reddy, wrote this with his brother, Nicholas, um, and they go under the writing team of the Red Brothers. Mm. The only other thing, there was one good translation for this one in oh, Vietnam. Yeah? It was called School Mission. <laughs> I'm just going to go out straight out and say I'd rather it be called School Mission because Dead Kids, I have... I know I mentioned this last week when we, when we talked about doing it this week. It's one of the worst titles of a film. And after watching the film, I, I don't feel any more fondly towards it. And I, in fact, I'm still kind of grey on, I think Dead Kids is almost like the term that they use for the kids who are less well-off or in, in not yeah. in the cool group, things like that. It's, it's just a shocking title. It is like down and out, something like that. Like it, it, there, yeah. there are so many other terms. Maybe it's just the, the literal translation that, doesn't necessarily work for us in a, a in, you know social context it means something different but when you translate yes, it it's, it's definitely not not a good way to sort of be like yeah you know you're a bit poor and um you know your family's not doing well so you're a dead kid you're like dead to the to society it's, it's a tough one yeah and not to mention uh, from a movie perspective hey do you want to come over on saturday night i'm gonna i'm gonna watch dead kids on netflix if you're interested like <laughs> yeah your friends will be like ah oh, no I'm not. I, don't your, I don't know if i'll be your friend anymore <laughs> Uh, the consensus on this one. What are people saying? What are their thoughts on this film? IMDb only had, when I looked at this yesterday, only had 492 ratings. That's a very, very low amount of people who have rated this film. It's a 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb with those 492 ratings. Letterboxd had a little bit more, 2,635 when I had checked it out, and that was 2.6 out of 5. Um, so it hasn't quite hit the mark, I don't think, and, and, um, yeah, what have, what have you found? Rotten Tomatoes, the same. Not many people have, have been on there. The audience, though, has it at 77%. Uh, that's on okay. 
less than 50 ratings though, but still fairly high. Um, but then if you head over to the critics, there's only six critics that have got on to, to give it a, a rating and it sits at 17%. So okay. um, quite low on that, that low end. I think it's like one person sort of said, yeah, it's worth a watch. Yeah, fair call. Yeah. What are your early thoughts on this one? My early thoughts are that I, I tend to agree with, with most of the consensus. It just didn't really work. Um, I kind of, I respect its ambition. I, I, I can sort of see what, what they were trying to do with this film. I think even though the, the screenplay needed a heap of work, um, the characters, they really lacked any sort of likability, which was tough. And I think the relationships in the film were supposed to be developed that weren't. There were things there that, that would have meant something if I had have cared about it enough, like, there's these things, there's pieces that were all kind of there, but didn't didn't come together. I'm still a little bit skeptical on how strong the actual story is, even if you did clean all that stuff up. But um, I think if you did, it would have it would have definitely resulted in a pretty sweet final act. Um, but yeah, it just it just didn't work. You can have a parrot uh, repeating everything <laughs> that you've said because um everything that you've said, I completely agree with. I think that um you know what should have been the focus on this film was like the inner thoughts and feelings of disengaged teenagers. And like you mentioned, we don't get that really. Um, no. And it's like a mash of like, you know, stylistically these red lenses that, you know, try to make it aesthetically nice, but the dialogue's poor. And, and like you mentioned the same thing I'm going to say, that there are no characters in this film that deserved any empathy because you couldn't connect with any of them. So mm. it made it a real hard slog. Yeah. And I think we're going to probably, that's going to come up a lot when we ch- start chatting about the characters too. Yeah, because the, apart from their characteristics, there's not too much more that you mm. can really go in about them. So, which the story just, needed that? Like, needed, exactly. if you had depth with these characters, this this could have worked. But yeah, because then you're on board with what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and you understand why, and it also why? gives the whole the whole story a why. The story never really had a why, um, and and that that's a really hard thing to grasp onto when you're sitting through it and going, this is all well and good that it's happening, but why is it happening? Where are we heading? What's the end goal? It just wasn't clear. I know what the end goal actually was, but why was that the end goal? You know? Good. Well, lead into the characters. What, what can you pull out of some of these characters? Yeah. Look, so Mark Santa Maria, our, our main character, I, I thought that I liked him and I, I probably did like him more than most of the other characters. So maybe that's where I sat, but, I think it was probably more this pity I had for him than anything else. He was just so passive. He was, he was obviously such a loner, but everything in this film, literally everything goes bad for him. <laughs> like, I would have been satisfied actually if they had thrown him a bone in any way and it might've been a bit cheap and cheesy to do that. But how appealing is a movie where the main protagonist just kind of floats through the whole film in this depressing manner before just being killed at the end of it? <laughs> I just, I kind of, I get that there's, there's, there's flaws with the way he lives his life and we kind of touched that really, really briefly near the end. But I still don't think it's the right way to try and uh, anchor a film. Um, so that was, that was a hard sell there as well. Yeah, he's almost like sulks the whole way through the film. Like, you know, you see him doing these things to, you know, you obviously know he's brainy. Um, and, you know, so he's trying to do his best to pay this rent for his aunt. And, you know, he's doing kids' homework. But even doing that, he's like, so down and out and obviously he's poor he's got no money he's got no chance really with the girl you know that he wants because he's um nemesis chuck. <laughs> yeah yeah his nemesis chuck is like you know 
got all the cool moves and you know he's even the he even has to be the understudy to him in the play like it's like literally everything, every, everything is, a, is a barrier for this kid and for me the the thing that i was trying to take out of it was he clearly why he got involved in this was because he wanted to go home he he had no he hated his life in the city he hated his life at school his friendships having to try and pay his auntie back that's great gives us some reason as to what he wants to do but i had no inkling or understanding as to why his life would have been better back home it's a great point i thought that too when it got revealed that he wanted to go home i was like this is kind of strong we can we can build something around this but it was kind of just mentioned like as opposed to being felt because if his parents are back there and they can like why aren't they supporting his life where he's now they're obviously not doing that so to me he's not going home to his parents what is he going back home for is it just the location just the the scenery in the town and so that to me yeah yeah. it just i don't know anyway keep moving who else we got yeah so charles blanco this is the character that well they all did but this guy really needed more needed to be developed more than anybody else because there was something there with this guy like he had this desire to basically be freed or have his family freed from this toxic drug trafficking world. He's, he's a guy that we see he's committed enough to literally murder a drug kingpin. And we kind of just know nothing about him other than what's on the surface and what he's talked about. And I think there's potentially something interesting with Blanco and Santa Maria together, but we never really get to see it brought to life, but they kind of tease you with these scenes of these two is like, okay, these guys are kind of interesting. What am I, what am I digging for? And it's just not there. Nothing actually happens. And you got a guy who, as I said, killed, killed the head of this drug um, trafficking business. And we don't really know enough about him and why he did it. Like, we know why he did it, but I didn't, I needed to know more. I needed to feel more from him. Yeah. It was like, they, they wanted this frustrated kid to show the, the frustrations of teens in the Philippines with all the bad stuff that's going on. And they did it through this character that would shut down conversations or crack it at people when they tried to dig any further. So as an audience, you're cracking it too because you're not hearing why he's shutting down these things. And it's just like this built-up aggression and, and angst and, you know, the, the ultimate um, portrayal of this is seeing him sitting there playing a video game and throwing control of the TV and smashing the screen. Like, oh, mm. he's so angry. So he's so angry <laughs> that he's ready to, to lose it. And that was, that was about it. <laughs> Yeah, I just, the whole time that I was waiting, I'm like, this is a guy, this is going to unlock this whole film. And it just kind of never happened. Even when he kills um, Uncle Roddy, it, he just kind of spirals from there. I'm like, I thought this was your moment, man. You're going to go take on and off we go. And yeah, I don't know. It just didn't work for me again. Yep. Fair. Okay. Who's next? All right. Quickly, we have Paolo. I'm going through the main four guys first. Uh, I guess he's a little bit more of the reckless, arrogant type of this crew. I think they miss a massive opportunity with him and both Ui by not really providing a reason for why they want to go ahead with this insanely serious plan. Like when he's literally so like, buy a, new I, car. I buy a car. Yeah, I buy a car. It's like, oh, you're just going to risk your whole life because you want to buy a car. It was a great opportunity to get these four guys together to show an example of the oppression that they might live in and, and get out of it. And it's like, I don't know what I'm doing with it. I haven't thought that far ahead. It's like, why are you doing this? So, um, he just doesn't seem to get the magnitude of it all, even including his girlfriend in it for fear of being dumped, which ultimately led to their downfall. Um, I'm sorry, but like if you're doing something this serious, you've got to risk getting dumped if you've let yourself in that that deep. Like it's just not that big a deal compared to like going to jail or being killed. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, that was that was pal. 
Uh, just just more interested in keeping his girlfriend, like you mentioned. And, you know, have it, he should have been worrying about the consequences or the impact on others or <laughs> why he's actually involved in this, like you mentioned. Like, there's no there's no further development other than he's the one with the girl. And mm. that's it. Yeah, that is that is it. And, and look, same with Dewey is the tactician, or I think. Like, yeah. <laughs> we don't see anything to suggest that he's really good at making plans, apart from the fact that they say he's good at making plans. Like, if you could show us some examples of his life where his planning or strategy is actually working well for him, that would be beneficial. I'm like, okay, I get this guy. I, I trust him to actually make these plans. But I don't know. I guess I didn't dislike him as much as some of the others, but he was pretty irrelevant when he probably could didn't have to be that irrelevant. I felt like he was almost like a stereotype of... Because it was he. He was more. He wasn't Filipino, was he? He was Chinese. Yeah. Yeah, he was Chinese. So I feel like through like that, it was like a, a stereotype of Chinese smart does all the planning, which I'm not saying is right, but that's that's how it felt to me. Mm. But um, and there's a lot of stuff in this that's quite politically incorrect, and I think that's probably one of those things as well. Yeah, that's a good call. All right, Chuck. Chuck. Um. I get it. Like he's the douchey rich kid who's grown up feeling invincible, touches on his daddy issues that <laughs> probably tries to humanize him a little bit. But I, I generally hated this guy from the start. So I suppose that character worked enough in its most basic sense. Um, it's hard to be too critical. They could have done lots more with him, but yeah, that kind of worked to an extent. Like just from what you said, like daddy issues, is that like, how is that just the main reason that they give you in a film for this guy being such a knob? Like, you need more context. Like, I, it's clearly context. the idea that he's grown up like everyone idolizing him. He can do whatever he wants. He's untouchable. Like, that's that's probably the main reason. Yeah, just his small little crew because everyone else bloody hates him. Anyway, true. All right, Jan. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't actually know her name until I had to check the credits. So, I think we completely missed a beat with her. Because she starts off as what I feel was a really important character, particularly in regards to our main protagonist. And she finishes with what should be this really poignant scene with calling out Mark for all the reasons why we've become frustrated him watching him on the screen this whole movie. Um, And then she owns this like really emotional and frankly well-acted response to everything that's happened in in the last shot. But she goes missing for like an hour during the crux of the story. And I just kind of thought she was a nothing character. But it feels like something got cut out or stripped back because this appeared to be so disjointed when it could have been one of the best parts of the film. I don't, I don't know what happened there. Did I miss something or did they just like forget to continue to develop that relationship? I can't believe how like in sync we are. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's, um, the girl that everyone's after but she's not given enough screen time to understand why. And it's like, she's almost the pretty girl for the men in the film to look at and the audience to look at with like, you know, the little context they give of you is of her is, you know, her biggest worry in life are her parents not being proud of her or her frustrations or stage fright. And I looked, I tried to look a little bit online into this and I didn't take this and get this interpretation, but there was someone that, that wrote this big, um, blog piece, I guess, or a response about how they interpreted her as being a victim of sexual violence from um, Chuck and his mates. Oh. I don't know how they they drew that that connection, um, but yeah, like I I don't get it. Like 
if even if that is the case, like you mentioned, she's just cut out of the film for so long and it doesn't lead to anything. I wasn't even 100% sure that Mark was pining over her. I was like 75% sure. I'm like, oh, he's into this girl and we'll see how that goes. And then when they just ignore it for the next hour, I was like, oh, it's not important anyway. But if they had a kind of continuously showed and made it really clear that he was into her and maybe there was something there that final yeah. bit where she calls him out which was i thought was pretty good when she called him out and said you just don't do anything mate like you should have been there you weren't there and then he kind of does nothing about that either a true character but that final scene where she was crying like holding back the tears when she had quite a proud moment of what she'd been trying to achieve worked and she was hot that, i thought that was brilliant but then i was like but hang on doesn't mean who is this girl again like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, it was just bizarre. And it probably would have been, one, as I said, the best part of the film, but they just mm. ignored it for so long. Yeah. I, anything else? I think I'm. A right, quick mention on Issa. Um, I thought she was actually all right as well. This is um, Powell's girlfriend. She clearly didn't know what she was getting herself into. So she came in the whole thing with a bit of gusto and bravado and was suitably and understandably blown away when all that shit started to go down and I was sort of 50-50 on her was whether she was going to dob them in but I kind of get why that she would dob them in um, but I yeah for, from a character perspective I thought it kind of worked all right yeah um, like and obviously they introduced you to her early in the film so you've got the idea of who she is I didn't really like the part where she walks in on them like saying you know oh, you need a better hiding place just like the arrogance to, to be so arrogant and get involved just for the money. But she didn't know what they were doing at that point. She didn't True. know the the extent of it, which is why she does come in with that kind of bravado. But she still knew the amount of money they were chasing, which is a, a pretty big amount. So she's just as bad as all of them, really, even though she, she wasn't involved in the, the kidnapping, I guess. Blackmail. Yeah, blackmail. I think you, you, you <laughs> can pull that back a little bit from the others. I think like, <laughs> the, there's levels of who got involved in that. But yeah, it's fair enough. I, I didn't mind that scene because it was really just calling out power for being a dickhead. Yeah, true. All right, the director. We spoke a little bit about Mikhail Red um, already. 13 directing credits, a lot of shorts. I have not seen any of his stuff, but notice that, like you mentioned, he's got two other films on Netflix as well. So... I don't know whether they're worth a, a check out or not. I, I'm mm. sure. Yeah, he's kind of been tagged from what I can gather as one of the Philippines' most exciting young filmmakers. And his dad was a director, Raymond Red, who was actually a Palm d'Or winner um, and one of the pioneers of Filipino indie cinema. So I think when this film came out, he was only 27 years old and it was the fifth film that he'd released since 2013. So between 2013 and 2019, he's basically doing a film a year and, since then, so what's that? Two years ago, he's done two more films. So he's um, he seems pretty pretty exciting and someone to keep an eye on. I don't think this film really worked, but um, I think you can't ignore the plaudits that he's getting. Yeah, I think visually and the, the use of the camera is pretty good throughout. It's just possibly the 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 screenplay or the script um, mm. that he's working with possibly maybe needs to do some you know direct someone else's work. And this is a guy who's who's as I said had ten days to shoot. So yeah. any kinks that he's had in there, he didn't have a chance to iron anything out either. So uh, I get the challenges in his in his way. All right. Well, let's let's talk about some scenes. What are what are some things that you enjoyed in this one? I enjoyed. I I really liked it when Blanco pulled the gun and and killed Uncle Roddy. That was like a real kind of like oh shit moment. I just didn't see it happening. I thought cool, this movie can go in a different direction now, and it didn't, and it, it didn't go anywhere from there, which was which was really disappointing. But that moment itself, in isolation, I can't ignore that I, th- I thought it was pretty good. 
<laughs> in general, I really liked the stage director. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I thought he was really going for it. I liked it when he basically just quit on all the kids. I thought he was funny. I, 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 I get it. I think, yeah, and he was sleeping in the final. I, I thought it was awesome. I thought he was fantastic. Um, and the only other thing that I mentioned, I've already talked about, I have to admit the, the final shot of, of Janet, her you know, seemingly successful play, fighting back those tears. I thought it was an excellent acting performance in that little moment by her. I think it didn't work in the context of the movie because she wasn't developed well enough, but I thought it was was and could have been really, really strong. So I, I just wanted to call that out too. I like how you always try to go three and three. Like <laughs> I, I must have been, it was hard getting getting the three this time. Um, I've actually got three and four this time. But the stage director, I just, I just thought I got to mention this. This guy might be listening, and he wants. I want to know that his performance was recognised. Well, I'm in agreement again with you because the the Blanco shooting and killing um, again was like cool, good scene. Let's see where it goes. I didn't mind like as you mentioned, the rest of the follow up wasn't great, but I didn't like him sitting in the gutter reflecting on and the conversation that he has with the others about. You know, I didn't force any of you guys into this mission. You all knew what you were getting into. I, I liked that conversation from him to say, hey, don't all try and pin this on me. Yes, I'm the one that's actually killed someone, but you're all complicit. You're all a part of what's happened, and I didn't force you to do it. So you knew there was a chance that something could go wrong. So I, I didn't mind that um, that follow-on there. And that is all I've got. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I'm, so, yeah. I'm actually going to, with the scenes that I didn't like, I'm going to, because that was a scene that I didn't like purely because I liked where it was heading before that. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, Blanco's, Blanco's kind of got this figured out. This is what I was thinking. And we're going to go in this really cool direction. And then the next scene was just all of them just losing their mind. And then I realized that Blanco didn't have to figure it out. I just thought it was such a letdown from, from the scene beforehand. I know this film was going in a direction that I wasn't completely happy with and the way it turned out that was obviously very clear but you know I just I think I just expected so much more from Blanco I think there was this mystery about him that I was waiting to unlock and never unlocked so um wasn't the worst scene in the film but I, I do want to mention it there good um but I got some bad scenes if you yeah like um <laughs> the, the one that really got me initially was when Iwi was talking about how <laughs> you don't make floor plans with inanimate objects and you called out this isn't a movie <laughs> I kind of, when a movie is conscious of the fact that it's a movie and it says this isn't a movie, uh, it, it's really tough to get it right. When you get it right, it works. And when you don't, you don't. And that was just a shocking moment in the film that led into another shocking moment being <laughs> the bloody food fight. Like, what the hell was that? <laughs> like, that was such an underdeveloped idea. Um, so that stunk. Yeah, I had that, I, I had that as well. 100%. Like, just ridiculous. Like, just using cutlery, cutlery to set out a, um, a heist scene almost. Rubbish. And the food bite. It was rubbish. Yeah, good. Also leading into the, uh, the, the, the gag sort of thing, when if your hand is bigger than your face, you have cancer. Everybody knows that joke. Like, everybody knows that joke. So I don't need to see it in a film, firstly. I don't need to see a guy fall for it in a film because everybody knows it. So <laughs> that was stupid. Um, and then the only other thing that I want to mention, this is obviously really calling out where I didn't like the direction of the film is when they, when they killed Mark, I just, that moment for me when they actually killed him and I could sort of see it was heading that way. 
I just, as I said before, cut this guy some slack. <laughs> like, I know he's he's a passive dude, but he's not a bad dude. And the fact that this whole film just ended with a guy just moping around, being depressed the whole film, and then getting killed, I was just like, why? Why did I just have to watch all that? So I didn't like that. Fair. Um, good. You only had one. Well, yeah, two of the two of them I've got. So I've got a few more though. So bear with me. Um, I feel like last week I might, go on a, might go on a little bit of a rant. Apologies for, yes. um, for this. But the opening scene. <laughs> we did, The opening scene is of Chuck in the massage parlor. We have- do not need that at the opening because they literally play that exact same scene later on in the film. If you're going to try and do a clever non-linear thing at the start of the film, all good. We've already seen it. We don't need to see that same scene again. So mm. pick one or the other. That really annoyed me. Um, Good call. When they, you know, Jan keeps talking about she needs people to practice her lines with, and she kept saying, I need, you know, throw some lines with me, throw some lines with me. All I could think of was that she wanted to snort some Coke, and it really, really, <laughs> really annoyed me. <laughs> I love the fact that you've done the first two scenes of the film. So I'm looking forward to where this is going. <laughs> oh, yeah. The nightclub. They're all the best oh, nightclub in, in town. Basically, the third scene. 2020. <laughs> It's like cool. What can we call like the best nightclub that's around? Maybe the next year that's in in the future, we'll name it after the year that's coming up. What a stupid name for a nightclub! You were annoyed. I was super annoyed. <laughs> maybe twenty twenty is a real nightclub in Philippines. Well, maybe it's called twenty twenty three now. They just change every year. Um, <laughs> Maria's free data running out on his phone. And then he's like lying in bed all depressed because he's run out of data. I was literally in hysterics laughing at how ridiculous it looked. Like just stupid, stupid, stupid. Um, he's got a grim, he's got a grim life. Give him a break. <laughs> oh, no data. I can't watch TikTok. <laughs> First world problems. He's got some food. Like, geez. Um, history class. This really, really, really irritated me. Um, where Chuck, you know, they talk, they're talking about um, historical figures that they respect. And Chuck admires Hitler. And he does the salute and the moustache. And the kids laugh. I thought this was completely distasteful. Um, it wasn't dealt with. If you're going to include that, you get the teacher to deal with it properly in a meaningful way to shut the conversation down and talk about how inappropriate it was. And that almost had me on the verge of turning it off and not watching anymore because I was like completely disgusted with that scene. Um, yeah, fair cool. It was very strange. Yeah, it, like that was, they were doing it for laughs and that, it's not a funny thing to laugh about. So no, that really no. annoyed me. Um, Maria backstage with the props. This is where we sort of, you know, get his inkling that he's sort of keen on um, <laughs> on Jan and just, you know, the, the, the romantic vision of him helping dream her fix scene. the gun and it's a dream. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, come on. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, you mentioned this with the hand in the face joke, but... Like they went back to the 90s. He looked at um, the director, Mikhail Red's like, what were all the funny jokes as I was growing up that we used to make as kids? And I'm going to include them all in the film. Mm. So you've got the hand in the face. You've got the choke on balls Gaylord. You've got, while well, they're <laughs> playing beer pong, you've got, um, he came out of his mum's asshole because he's the shit. Oh, like, yeah, I hadn't who, heard that who one. Who writes these lines? Um, you know, he cock blocked you. Like the whole idea of the massage parlor. And then... Um, the other, like the other, like a lot of derogatory language, like when, and they're obviously trying to shut down, you know, you know I think the Philippines were obviously ahead in time with vaping in teenagers. But um, when the aunt was like telling, um, telling him, oh, you know, the vape, the, the design on it is gay. Like mm. we're past, we're past using language like this. And it just really annoyed me. Um, That's very true. Um, 
You mentioned the cafeteria and the food fight. The burger shop scene was another one that got me. Started quoting Karl Marx. <laughs> you know, we have nothing to lose but our chains. And I don't watch Game of Thrones. Like, you, you, you've got Hitler, you've got Karl Marx. Like, what they were going for in this film, I really don't know. Um, <laughs> after the kidnapping, and then we like every time they're back at school, we've got all these slow mo, awkward yeah. movement shots of them trying to avoid eye contact with each other. <laughs> it was so lame, so lame. Um, sorry, I'm nearly done. <laughs> the director, the director. I know you liked him, but man, it's oh yeah, the scene. Yeah. yeah, sorry, uh, the theater director. Especially the scene where he gives um, Maria the role, like it was just like, oh yeah, cool, let's all let's get him involved, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was oh, so lame, so lame. Uh, and finally, last thing that really annoyed me was we've got that scene where um, Paolo, you know, copying it for getting his girlfriend involved, and his response to Yui is, um, "You're gay." Mm. That came out of nowhere, hundred percent nowhere. Mm horrendous you like why why do you include that what does what do you achieve by doing that that someone can you've made some really good points yeah that someone can just have a go at at someone else for their sexuality like i was just i was shocked that that would just be a line because i didn't have any inkling at all that he was gay throughout the whole yeah and it it's completely irrelevant if he is or isn't i i I got the vibe that he isn't and it was supposed to be derogatory but yeah 100 that is because saying that is derogatory so it didn't add anything to the film or add anything to anything it was just a a horrendous thing that you add in as a as a slander towards someone, and I mm. did not like that. So anyway, no. sorry, that's my rant on. That's great. No, you you picked up some really important stuff there that deserves criticism. I think. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about some themes, some ideas. What did you take? Yeah, I, I think they were there, but they were a bit murky. I don't think I was as clear as the themes that maybe the director thought were, were being portrayed. I think there's a an important criticism of the the drug regime. And, and police relationship in it and how it forces innocent bystanders to kind of take a part in it. Um, you could definitely argue that Blanco was an innocent bystander and in all this that got dragged into it and was forced to do something about it. And that's why all this stuff happened. Um, and I don't know if that is particularly a, 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 a really strong issue in the Philippines. I know it is in, in some cases a, a worldwide issue, but whether it's you know, more so in the Philippines at the moment, there's definitely that, Portrayal uh, of the rich, spoiled, you know, entitled mentality, and how dangerous that can be, particularly in youths. And um, I don't know, kind of taking on these these roles and personas that they just shouldn't be doing, and, and treating people the way they should be treated. And definitely the, the the ideas and the dangers of you know passivity and being a passive bystander in so many things and not doing anything with your life, where that can where that can ultimately lead you. In this case, it, he's telling you that it will lead you to be murdered. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it is, you know, we, we see nothing positive about Santa Maria's life. So, you know, maybe there's a, there's a real example of that's not how you should live your life. Maybe that's the reason why the title works then, because you do become a dead kid if you, yeah, um, you, if do. you don't live your life. Um, yeah. And, you know, like you've touched on, the, the idea of, you know, money, power, the class disparity, which is obviously... His big divide, especially through through the youth. But I mean, this film, while they try to touch on it, they really just do it through angry kids and um, you know corrupt cops. And they make a brief mention about you know cops bribery, you know killing the poor people. And the, the idea of a second chance, too. Um, you know, Marie's got this idea of a second chance. If he gets this money, he's got that second chance. 
and that that second chance is shut down. But obviously, we see that that Blanco gets that second chance because of that little bit of extra, um, not not loyalty, but that little extra part in society that his dad's at. And so, because of where his dad's at, he gets that second chance. Whereas where Maria yeah. is, he doesn't get that second chance. So um, that hierarchy almost of of society and and depending on where you are in that that hierarchy depends on whether you get to choose your fate or whether your your family or your connections or your your backstories that is more important to to allow you to continue. Really good point. All right. So, what did you take away from this film? Yeah, I suppose everything we've talked about. Really, um, it was just a bit of a disjointed mess, and I, I think there is something there and I take my hat off to Netflix for allowing these guys to have the opportunity to make this, but I'd be lying if I said it was a job well done. And I just, I just couldn't recommend it to mates who are into these types of ransom or heist or whatever you want to call them films. It would, uh, it wouldn't look well for, wouldn't look good for me if I was recommending them to be honest, they'd be like, MJ, what are you doing, mate? This is rubbish. Yeah. I'm saying like, I think it has really good intentions on commenting on disengaged youth and, and society in the Philippines, but it's just done so poorly that it's really hard to to recommend it, like you say, um, which is a bit sad because, you know, it's nice to see people get that opportunity, like you mentioned, and without Netflix, maybe this wouldn't have got made. So, um, yeah. That's it. And, like, you have to assume maybe he had really tight parameters to make this film too, and Netflix wasn't, you know, giving him the bank bankroll that he wanted. So um, yeah. you, you can sort of excuse some of it. All right. Did you go on IMDb to look anyone up? I, I, I went on IMDb during a conversation because I realised that I was talking about the theatre director without actually naming <laughs> him. And it would be rude not to give reference to Emmanuel Dela Cruz, who, uh, if you're listening, Emmanuel, I enjoyed your performance and what was a tough role and you made it worthwhile and funny. So well done. I might need to tag him in our episode and see if he wants to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I jumped on just to look up. They mentioned in the in the dialogue at some stage about when they were doing the, and again, I probably should have put this in as, as a horrible um, scene, but when they were making the ransom calls and they're putting on those those Chinese accents, um, they mentioned a, an actor called Ryan Bang. Um, so I was like, oh, who's Ryan Bang? He must be a, you know, famous, he's a Filipino actor. Um, so he looks like a bit like the Filipino Noah Centineo, I think. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. But yeah, that's about that's with it. That's it. I haven't heard of him before. So, question time. Any questions that you wanted to ask? I have two for you today, Jesse. Firstly, uh, as a viewer, how long did it take you to realize that his name was Mark Santa Maria? Because that was really throwing me when they kept calling him Santa Maria, and sometimes they call him Mark, and I, yeah, it was it really got me. I agree. I think um, you could say the same with Jen. That I don't think they dropped her name until about halfway through the movie. Um, <laughs> And and with him too, yeah, like Mark, Maria, what what, what were they like? Depending on, I, I, don't, I don't know whether it was um, like different characters were calling him different things to sign to try and say it in a derogatory way towards him, depending on the situation. But yeah, I agree. It was stick with the one name. It was so confusing, and because Santa Maria is not like a common surname in my mind, I'm like, is this like a weird nickname that they're giving him? Why are they calling him Maria? Like, ah, oh, it was. Um, very confusing. When I figured that out, it was a lot cleaner. I enjoyed it. But um, <clears throat> my second question is, where do you think Charles Blanco ends up? Ooh, a very good question. Um, maybe his dad sends him off to the town 
that Santa Maria is from. Um, so we go live there. what I thought as well. <laughs> that, is exactly, that is exactly what I thought. <laughs> We've been so, so in sync today. We've so been in sync with this one. Yeah. Um, i got a couple. i got a couple. So, um, Maria, he's dropped off at House by Blanco towards the start of the film. And as he's dropped off, there's this chicken, a guy leaving his place. Was he like renting it out for people to use so he could make more money? I think so. I think they were using it almost like a brothel. But um, initially, I'm like, oh, he's got a couple of roommates and uh, yeah. they're just heading out for the <laughs> night. But then I never saw them again. I'm like, yeah. oh, he must have just said like, hey, I'm out if you want to go have sex in my apartment. <laughs> I still don't understand how he's not able to pay his uh, auntie back by doing everyone's homework for him and renting his house out as a brothel. And He's got issues with his rates, I reckon. He's, he needs yeah. to work on his rates. <laughs> um at the start, on the subtitles, um, at the, our first shot of the school, it said Rape of the Motherland on the screen. I couldn't work out what that was referencing. I think there were signs, like uh, propaganda signs, just propaganda like hanging, signs. hanging in the street, okay. yeah, or on the trees okay. or something, yeah. All right, cool. Um, did you empathise with any of the characters? I really didn't. No, I, I really didn't. I, I, and I wanted to. I promise I was trying to. Um, but it just it their, their behavior seemed too unrealistic. Now some of the guys' motives just not only were they were not clear, they just weren't right to, to be doing what they were doing. And then the guys who probably did have more motive and did have more reason for it didn't quite feel it. So no, not really. I, I as I said, I pitied Mark the whole time. I did pity him and I felt sorry for him, but I I can't say I really felt anything more than that. Yeah, I, I think you probably mentioned it a bit earlier. I think Blanco was the one that really had the chance to get the audience on board for what he was doing. Um, yep. And it just it just didn't happen, unfortunately. Nah, it didn't. Yeah, that's that's probably the crux of it. Uh, last one. Um, like this film, there are so many poor behaviours from the teens. You've got, um, you know, they, they do sort of touch on vaping's bad, but there's excessive drinking, there's bullying, like rubbing hot dogs in people's mouths while they're blindfolded, pretending it's penises and putting it online massage parlors being attended by young kids like why aren't any of these behaviors like sort of addressed or shut down more when you were saying the hot dog thing i'm like i don't remember seeing that at all i know it was referenced like what happened i was like what the hell are you talking about oh, there was like the video like, the video on the screen where they've got him blindfolded uh, and they're oh, did they show i remember they, they, they talked about because he's called like a hot dog boy or something yeah. um yeah i mean like vaping and drinking is what yeah, it is. Really I don't think you want to come down hard on that. The other stuff is almost just like I think there is this somewhat corruption in the yeah. in the legal system, and and the rich kids get away with whatever they want to get away with, and that's and that's that's what he's trying to. Say. I'm sure that's that's one of the messages he's trying to, trying to portray yeah. in this. Good. All right. Well, I think we're ready to wrap it up and give a final rating out of five to come up with an average. What are your final thoughts for Dead Kids? Yeah, there's not much more to say. I mean, I mean so much of it just didn't come together and, and I felt like it lacked it lacked an experienced head to guide them through the pieces that didn't didn't fit in and I, again I wonder if that's just the constraints that they had when making this film um, it wasn't a terrible watch and I appreciated the effort but it just didn't work and I, I, I just can't give it any more than one and a half stars unfortunately yeah I, same stuff as we've said the whole time I guess like without any characters that you want you want to cheer for or you want to succeed it makes it hard watching because you know it's coming down to some sort of final conflict and that conflict happens and you're like, cool, where's it going to go? And then it just doesn't go anywhere. And 
I think um, the lead up to it doesn't engage either. And and when that final act does arrive, there's no emotional feeling. Like you mentioned with the, like when Santa Maria is killed, like I didn't feel anything. You know, that that's that moment of the film where the character you follow the whole film is killed. And I feel, I felt nothing. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I'm giving it one out of five. I think with a feeling nothing, I think I felt almost let down by the fact that like, you've been leading us this whole time to what has been a pretty bland character and then you just killed him. Mm. I was like, you can't do that. Like what a waste of a movie in a sense. Um, so yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It was, uh, it was such a shame. I think they, they, yeah, they got some things really wrong. Yeah. Well, we're on socials, got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, give us a follow, give us a like if you can, just because we've spoken about this so much. What's a better title for this film? <laughs> what, what would you call it? Oh man, that's a good question. I actually probably should have thought of that beforehand. But I thought, God, I thought yeah, you had an answer already. I should have. Should have. I mean, no, I mean, I could anything. I, I anything is better. But um, yeah, maybe I'll wait for that to be posted on social and I'll, I'll respond to it. I'll have a think about it and get it right. Something with the word class in it, so it's talking about class at school as well as class in society. Like, anyway, I don't know. It's oh, a good starting I'll, point. Yeah, let's start with something like that. Anyway, we're we're back next week going to completely change it up because I think we've got our last Christmas film for a while from 2019. We're heading towards the end. It's a rom-com and it's the third film in the series. We get to finish the trilogy. Yeah. A Christmas Prince, the Royal baby. It's uh, directed by John Schultz. It stars Rose McIver, Ben Lamb and Sarah Douglas. So that's what we've got next week. You you know, on Letterboxd, how you can look at your stats and it shows you the collections that you've finished, oh, yeah. like collections of films, and then it's got the ones that you've almost finished. I'm like, oh, what am I close to finishing? And it came out the other day, you know, the Christmas Prince trilogy. You've only got one more, MJ. You've only got one more to finish that trilogy, <laughs> and I get to tick that box this week. Good. I, I'm from memory. I've, I've enjoyed both previous uh, ones of these Christmas films, so I've got high expectations. Oh, all right. Well, it's about 125 minutes, so that appeals to me because I have... 125 lo- minutes? Sorry, sorry, an hour 25. Hour 25. <laughs> I was going to say, it's sorry. a movie. I'm not ready for that. I think they've, all, they've <laughs> all been under 90, these ones, and that's yeah, their okay. saving grace. <laughs> Good. Yes. Well, uh, I'm excited. Uh, getting some Christmas cheer for next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I disliked both these films yeah. quite intensely, so uh, <laughs> we'll see where we land. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, as always, it's been good. And uh, thanks for keeping company and talking. This film is one of those ones needed to be talked, spoken about. Yeah, it's a good point. I think we, uh, I think we're pretty fair with our assessment. Good. All right. I will see you next week. See you then. <laughs>